Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've been uh, discussing this paragraph in the book of Hebrews. This will be the third Sunday. And uh, there's three uh, exhortations in this text. Let us, let us, let us. And no, we're not making a salad. Sorry, that's not that funny. <laughs> uh, let us hold, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider those three exhortations in this text. And these three things, we are challenged to respond to the message of the book of Hebrews. The message of the book of Hebrews is, if you know Jesus Christ, nothing better has ever or could ever happen to you. And the problem in with the Hebrews, the church that this letter is, was addressed to in the first place was it was going to become difficult to know Christ. The emperor, who was a dictator, who had absolute power in the Roman world, was making noise about these troublesome Christians and so it was again, it had happened before, but it was again going to become hard to know Christ. And so there was some rumbling among these Jewish Christians about whether maybe we should just ease up on the talk about Jesus for a while. Maybe we should go back to synagogue and depart from church. And in the mind of the writer of the book of Hebrews, this is just crazy talk. It's, he can't fathom that anyone who knew Christ could even conceive of such a thing. And one of the things you see in the book of Hebrews is this, let me tell you about Jesus again. And... Do you know Jesus? We have these periodic, they call them warning texts in the book of Hebrews. He's like, I'm worried. Do you even know Jesus? We're going to have one of those immediately following this text. Because if you know Christ, nothing better than that 
can happen. There isn't anything better than that. Paul says this in the book of Philippians, where he says, one thing, I have abandoned everything else. I regard everything that I used to regard as valuable, I now regard as garbage in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To have the opportunity to live life in fellowship with Jesus Christ is the best opportunity that has ever presented itself to you. And when you think there might be something better, your thinking is messed up. There isn't anything better. The best thing that could happen to us right now is that Jesus would appear in person. And we would know him face to face instead of in this sort of through the glass darkly way we know him now. And so Paul, or not Paul, but the writer of the book of Hebrews comes to this point and having repeated this many times, how superior Jesus is to any other way, how superior he is to everything else, how privileged we are to have the opportunity to be redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ. He says, so then, therefore, because we have these things, because we have free access to enter the holy of holies, and not the, not the model holy of holies that was the old Jewish temple holy of holies, but the real thing in heaven. The very presence of Almighty God, we have free access before the throne of grace. We can go in there boldly, which literally means you can go in there like you own the place. Like it belongs to you. And you can stand before the perfect, righteous, Holy God, without fear. In fact, instead of fear, you can expect in Christ, you can expect the warm embrace of Almighty God as your loving Father. There isn't anything better than this. And because we have this access, and because we have this great high priest that provides us with this access, Jesus Christ himself, the man, Jesus, the eternal Son of God who became one of us and now, as one of us, is seated at the right hand of God Almighty, doing what? Standing between us and God and saying, he's with me, she's with me. They have every right to be here. We, he ever lives, we read, to make intercession for us. Because all that's true, let us. What's the only reasonable response to those facts? If we know those things to be true, what response does that call forward from us? Like, what's the undeniable impulse that those realities create in us? Draw near. <laughs> Christ has opened the way by the sacrifice of his own life. His own flesh has... has removed the veil that was between us and God, so now there's free access. 
Well, go on in then. Draw near with a sincere heart as yourself, true to who you already are. You don't have to be anyone but you. You can come in whatever condition you're in. True honesty before God. You can confess your sins and you don't have to worry about judgment. You can be as totally brutally honest as you need to be. You can tell him you're mad at him right now and it'll be fine. Sincere heart, full assurance of faith because your heart has been sprinkled clean and your evil conscience has been purified by the blood of Christ. And you're, you're in the eyes of God, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so you have standing there at any time about anything. You can't really stay away, can you? I mean, staying away, would that's, that'd be the dumbest thing you could think of. I have access to God Almighty, and but I'm not going. <laughs> that'd be like turning it down, well, it'd be like way more than turning down an invitation to meet the king. Would you do that? If you had an invitation from the king, signed by the king that said, I'd like a visit from you, would you stay home? No. Now, maybe there's people who don't like the king, I don't know. But <clears throat> those people probably aren't getting an invitation. If I got an invitation to the White House, I would go. It wouldn't matter who the president was, whether I liked him or not, because it's an honor to be there. We're talking about an invitation from God Almighty, Eternal One. Will you stay away? That'd be crazy. Draw near. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I cling to the promise of the return of Christ. Because if knowing him is the best thing, seeing him is the best thing. And when I see him, I'll be like him because I'll see him as he is. And so I cling to the promise. I trust myself to the promise. I live because the promise is true. I live the way I live because the promise is true. It changes how I direct my life to know that he's coming for me and that my redemption will be complete and that I will experience the resurrection that he experienced. I live in the consciousness of that. It will make you bold. It will make you courageous to live in the consciousness of the coming Jesus. Well, that was the first two things. All I did so far was preach the last two sermons again, but we're coming to the third thing now, which is let us consider one another. Now, various English translations of the Bible put these words in different order, but this is the order they go in according to the original text. The thing 
we are considering in this exhortation is one another. This word consider also, it doesn't mean be polite. You know, like be considerate. No, it's much more than that. The word for consider here means to observe closely and think carefully about something. <laughs> really consider, like dwell on it, figure it out, look, watch, see, perceive, make true observation and think carefully and evaluate it carefully. This means that I'm being exhorted here to really get to know you. Not just to be nice, but to really get to know you. This, this uh, commandment, if you will, is a commandment to develop close relationships among the people of God in the church. It means we should become real with each other. It requires transparency. If we're going to get to know each other, we have to open up. We can't be hiding from each other, and there's no need. This is a really hard thing for all of us people, human beings in the current world, to get over, and that is the need to hide. We need to hide. We can't really just be honest, completely share everything about ourselves. It's, it'd be too costly. But here's the thing. Before God, you certainly can be utterly honest. Because you're not actually hiding anything from him anyway. And the more we dwell there, the more we come to know that we can be a safe place to really be transparent with each other. We want to grow in this. We want to be able. We want to help people to trust each other. And that means we want to be trustworthy as a group. We want to be the sort of group where you could share the most horrible sin and you would not be rejected personally, but helped. I'm saying that and I'm like, ooh, that's scary. Because I'm not, there's some sins I really don't want to hear about. But that's a thing to get over in the body of Christ. To be really considering one another for real. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be totally available to every person in the church, but it means we need to grow together in this respect so that I'm building friendships within the body of Christ where I can share myself for real. And I can help someone else who shares himself with me. That's a little scary. But oh my goodness, it's the thing we know we need. We need intimate fellowship. It's so hard because we're kind of wrapped up in ourselves. But that's the challenge of this verse, and it's the only reasonable response to what we have in Christ, to be thinking 
about each other, to begin considering each other. Now, there's no pressure here. There's no, hey, you're not, no. What there is is an exhortation for me to think about you in order to help you. That's interesting. In order to, I'm supposed to think about you in order to express the love of Christ to you, the unconditional acceptance that I have from him, I extend to you, and vice versa. Now we might ask, how is this linked to our free access to God? Because that's the because in this sentence. Because we have free access to God, because we have a great high priest, then let us consider one another. Let us really get to know each other. How's this linked? How do, how do those two things go together? How is this related to the priesthood of Jesus? Well, the thing is, it's my alienation from God that alienates me from you. It's the breakdown of my fellowship with God that breaks down all the other fellowships. You see this in Adam and Eve. In the very first day they sin, they, they're hiding from God and they're blaming each other. When just a few days before, Adam looked at Eve for the first time and he said, oh my goodness, that's what we're talking about. We've been looking through all the animals, you know, looking for a partner for Adam. None of them are any good. God makes Eve. He brings Eve. He goes, yeah, that's right. That's the one. And they were together they were naked and not ashamed. What that means is they had the thing we all need. Open, intimate fellowship, unhindered. And then they broke with God. They didn't realize, that maybe, they didn't realize how that would break the two of them. And ever since then, we've had this struggle for real intimate fellowship. My alienation from God is what alienates me from others. And when I find acceptance from God, when I find acceptance from God in Christ by the Spirit's work in me, when I know Him as my provider, that is, I draw near and hold fast, I'm free to pay attention to you. Because I don't need to pay attention to myself so much because he's paying attention to me. I can pay attention to you. In order to consider you, I need to consider Christ. It goes in that order. I hold fast. I draw near. And then I consider you. It's out of my fellowship with him that I can effectively fellowship with you. And that's true of all of us. I draw near, I hold fast, and then I consider one another. Well, I, my consideration is for a purpose in this text. It's for this purpose, for stimulation of love and good deeds. Our attention to each other is for stimulation. This word, stimulation, is really interesting. <laughs> It's the word you would use if you were an ancient Greek speaker for a seizure, like a convulsion. That's weird, isn't it? It's the word for, uh, well, you might have an English translation that uses the word spur. You know those sharp things you use to move a horse? 
you spur a horse and it moves. Did I look enough like a horse just then? Uh, and this word, spur, uh, no, the, the King James uses the word provoke. <laughs> provoke, that's a pretty good translation. Stimulate is a pretty good translation. But it's not always comfortable to be stimulated or spurred or provoked. But, it's a, but this stimulation has a purpose and the purpose is love and good deeds. And the word love here is the is the God kind of love. Like we read about in 1 John, how do we even know this kind of love? By the sacrifice of Christ. This agape love. So one of the things we could learn from this is our attention to each other. It's, you know, our consideration. I'm going to consider you. You're going to consider me. Should create a certain discomfort with any lack of love. Or good deeds. Well, if I'm going to effectively stimulate you to love and good deeds, well, this just drives home how much we really need to get to know each other, right? Like, what motivates you and what motivates me? Two different things. At least two. And each of us has a unique personality and a unique way of serving and loving and a unique way of saying, I love you to someone. And uh, we're individuals. And so if I'm going to stimulate you to love and good deeds, I have to know you fairly well, it seems to me. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to consider you in order to know you, in order to stimulate you to be loving and good. So I'd like you to raise your hand if you would prefer not to be loving and good. Okay, fair game. This is what we all want, to be more loving and do more good deeds. Don't you want everything you do to be good? Yeah, and good means it actually helps someone. It has a benefit. In fact, when we read about this love in 1 John, we said this is how we know this love, Jesus. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to give his life a sacrifice for sin. This is, a, this is our lesson on this type of love. And so we learn that this love is unconditional. It, Jesus gave himself before any response and without regard to the response, some people respond and other people don't. It's unconditional. He did it. it didn't, his doing it didn't depend on anything about us. Including how we would respond to it. It's intentional. He did it on purpose. He didn't show up here on earth and go, whoa, what happened? No, he came, he was sent and he came. It was intentional. It was not an accident. It was on purpose. And for the purpose of this demonstration of love and this saving sacrifice. It's sacrificial. It was not free. And it isn't free. 
to really love someone means to do what's good for them at my own expense. And in the case of Christ, it's clearly this most, well, it's the biggest sacrifice ever made. But it's not sacrifice for martyrdom's sake. It's not just a sacrifice to show, you know, what a great sacrificial loving person he is. No, it actually benefits the people he intended to benefit. So it's, it's also beneficial. It actually does someone some good. If you're going to love someone, <laughs> what you're going to try to do is bring actual benefit to that person. You're not just, you know, going around uh, hurting yourself to show what a great loving person you are. Who's that about? It's about you. Well, that's the same old ingrown nonsense that we've had already. This sort of love actually cares whether it does any good. And it really matters whether it's really good. Or it's not just about making you feel better. It's about real benefit. That's a hard thing to figure out, but that's what Jesus did. And finally, it's incarnational. Jesus did not love us from heaven. He showed up in person as one of us. And this sort of love, the love we are called to stimulate one another toward, this kind of love is in person. It's face to face. Well, and it creates good deeds. I think love just creates good deeds. Good deeds are simply the things we do that are loving. It's this love that we're called to stimulate one another is not sit around love, it's active love. It's not just an affectionate feeling, it moves. It is the behavior that flows from love, our good deeds. It's the mutual service that meets real needs. It's real fellowship, real sharing. It's the work of that great New Testament word koinonia, the sharing of life together in the body of Christ. If I have something and you need it, I give it to you, and vice versa. It's open, generous living together. It's being a family together. We see anyone's needs as our needs. Good deeds. All of this, of course, is we're helping each other to imitate the life of Jesus, the character of Christ. This is how he behaved. We want to be like him. We don't have to be. We want to be. Because he was this way toward us. Now the second way we're considering each other, first it has this purpose for the stimulation of love and good deeds, and then it has, then it has this sort of negative warning. He says, not abandoning the meeting. Uh-oh. <laughs> not abandoning the meeting. That is a very literal translation of the text. 
there's a meeting in the church since the very beginning of the church there's been a meeting there's always been a meeting it's a regular meeting it happens typically weekly sometimes more hardly ever less not abandoning the meeting now this word abandoning or in some translations it's they use the word forsake it's just kind of an awful word it literally means to leave someone stranded so if if you uh took someone to the park you know they rode with you and then you just left them there and went home that's the meaning of this word abandoning you could imagine some really horrible parents they take their kids to some fun place and then they just leave forsaking their children that's the meaning of this word what this tells us is that the meeting is I don't come to this meeting just for my sake just for what I receive I come to provide something and if I don't show up it isn't provided that's the meaning of this sentence uh, in the body of Christ, each person has a role, a part in the fellowship of the group. In fact, in, the, in Ephesians chapter 4, we, we read about each part doing its part. And when each part does its part, the whole thing works together. And we all grow in our union Christ-likeness into one new man. Not into a bunch of new men, but into a new man. And that's because each one provides something to the whole. And so if we abandon the meeting, whatever it is, we are here from the hand of God to provide to the group is lost to the group. We have been forsaken. He even says, I always laugh when I read this phrase, as is the habit of some. <laughs> Careful consideration requires faithful presence. We are not here solely for our own benefit. You are here because you provide something we need. You might not notice, and it might not be any job or task it might be just the smile on your face or you're simply having a conversation with someone in which you just say something off the cuff but it means something that happens all the time when we have in our fellowship we have every week we have a time of fellowship a time of just talking to each other this is what it's for we know each other and we're, we're sharing. We're sharing life. You know, in those conversations, this happens probably every time. Somebody hears something that somebody else needs and the need gets met. 
I think that happens every Sunday because people are here. And if they're not here, it does whatever was going to happen doesn't. Not abandoning the meeting. Our reflection of the character of Christ is a, is a collective thing. We do it together. We draw near and hold fast together. You're not called upon to do that all by yourself. We do it together. This happens in and through our fellowship and our worship together. Our watchful care for one another and for the people around us. Jesus said, this is how they'll know you're mine. This is how they'll know you're my disciples, Jesus said. Who they is, I guess, the people in the world. How will they know? By how loving you are toward them? No. If you love one another. Someone should be able to walk in this door, and I think they can here. It's a blessing, one of the major blessings of my entire life. People can walk through this door and they can go, oh, these people love each other. They actually care for each other. They actually pay attention to each other. They actually talk together. They are getting to know one another. They are thinking about how to love one another. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. And that is what is impaired by anyone's habitual absence. We get a little less of that. Hmm. That was kind of a guilt trip maybe, but okay. The next thing he says, instead of that, we are to encourage one another says not abandoning the meeting of ourselves like some people do, but encouraging one another. This is the word parakaleo. It's the word, it's the source of the name of the Holy Spirit. Paraklete, the comforter, the counselor, the exhorter, the challenger. The, this is a big fat word. It means a lot of things. It means everything from, oh, you need a hug, to, oh, you need a kick in the pants. It's all of the, those things wrapped up in one. But of course, we are to encourage one another to stimulate love and good deeds. So we're careful about kicks in the pants. And we're not so careful about hugs. It's... Uh, it's the word itself means to come alongside. That's what a great picture. It literally means to call to one side. The word has this in it. Over here. It, the very nature of encouragement is a drawing together of people. It's, a, it's got more come with me than get going. It sometimes has a little get going, but always in a come with me. The exhortation of Christ is an accepting exhortation. <laughs> Jesus himself says, come unto me. 
all who are weak. And when he talks about the Spirit being our comforter, he says, I'll give you another comforter. Because what does that mean? He is the first comforter. He's the one who pulls us in, who embraces us into the fellowship of the triune God. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. The exhortation of Christ is a loving exhortation. It's one that loves and serves sinners. How do you stimulate love and good deeds? By being together and encouraging one another. The normal mode of exhortation is talk. But there's a bazillion other modes. It can be done in many different ways. The content of our encouragement is drawing near to Christ. Hey, you look like maybe you're forgetting the love of Christ. Remember, remember, remember the flood of the love of Christ. Let us come together and remember that together and sing our heads off about the love of Christ. The sacrificing love of Christ. And this will stimulate anyone to love and good deeds. It will be encouraging. Now the last thing he says about this is all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is the day of the Lord according to the Old Testament called something the day. It was the great and terrible day of the Lord. It was the day where God judged everyone and vindicated his own people. The Bible talks about it as wiping the earth clean. (laughs) It's kind of scary. And it's the best thing that will ever happen to you if you are in Christ. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment for the world, the day of vindication for the people of God, the day of Jesus' appearance, the day of our resurrection, the full restoration of the image of God in the people of God. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. (sighs) The closer we see that, the more serious we need to get about this the more serious I need to be about really thinking about you and how to get you to be loving and good. (laughs) And you should be thinking about me and how to get me to be loving and good. And this doesn't mean going around punching each other in the face. It's very gentle. It's encouraging. It's come with me. Have you seen this? It's the presentation of an opportunity, not the imposition of a burden. You know, you can talk about the same good deed in both of those ways. Here's something you could do. This seems like a good idea. You really better do this. You really should do this. And you don't have to lie, you really should. But I can say that in a way that's parakaleo or something else. 
And the more I see Christ as near, the more urgent all this is, right? The effect of seeing the day approaching is, is an urgency effect. It's the urgency of a bride getting ready for the groom. She's going to see and be seen by. It's the urgency in the preaching of the gospel. Here is the best thing ever. You really need to get in on this before it's too late. And I don't say that as a burden to anyone, but as an opportunity. It really is the best thing that could happen to them. To anyone. And so we consider one another to stimulate love and good deeds, not abandoning the meeting, but encouraging one another. And more and more, the closer the day gets, and the day gets closer every day. So we draw near. We hold fast. We consider love one another. You know, this is just a description of what it means to be a Christian. It, a Christian is presented with the opportunity to be reconciled to God by the cross of Christ and takes, takes the opportunity, trusts it, goes. It's a, a Christian hangs on to our hope to our, the hope of our coming Savior. I live for that day. And a Christian, because those things are real, shares those things in the body of Christ. It's simple. It's just a simple description of the entire Christian life. The, and life in Christ is shared. It's a life together. It's joining in the eternal fellowship. Here's the thing I become more and more convinced of all the time. The whole point is fellowship. Jesus died to restore broken fellowship. To make God available to you and to make us once again really available to each other and to Him. So we trust in Him and we live from his love to loving others. That's the whole thing. It's very simple. Draw near, hold fast, consider one another. And it's a thing we do together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, we thank you that you have once again made yourself available to us. When we turned away from you, you sent your Son after us. And by his sacrifice, we are healed. We are brought together again. Lord, I pray for this church and for every church that we would be considering one another in order to stimulate love and good deeds. That anyone who walks through the door of this church or who meets one of us anywhere else would be able to see the love of Christ in your people. Or we know that we need the empowerment of the Spirit of God to walk by faith, to know your love, and to share it with the people around us. We ask for you to empower us for these very things. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.